Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open up this topic, um, we pray for your presence here. We pray for your words. We thank you for the rain, and we hope that everyone makes it here safely and makes it home safely as well. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, hashtag selfie. We live in a world that it is unrealistic, probably, to avoid it 100%. And I say that because I can't stand, personally, social media. <laughs> I, like, literally, like, don't like to post things, and I just have a real slow time at doing that. But I use social media for our ministry's sake because it is an absolute beautiful tool for us to reach people in other countries, in other churches. And to be really honest, I am literally surviving because of social media. So I want to kind of as well preference this with that. Um, there's a good use and a bad use of things. And I hope this is what you guys learn from this presentation today. As you guys probably are aware of, social media is a lot of me, me, me. Look at me. Look at the shoes I just bought. Look at the clothes I wore. Look at the cool vacation I just went on. A lot of times people post and use social media in a very self-reflected way. Um, not everybody, but it seems to be how the general population uses social media. Now... Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, The thing that has been, and that which shall be, and that which is done, is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Now, if you could look back in the wake of time, and you could see what every single culture has struggled with, what they've dealt with, you will find a very common denominator between all of the history of humanity and all of the ways that the devil has gotten us tripped up throughout the history. If you could kind of see what tools he's used, it's like he uses the exact same things, but he changes the technology and how he gives it to us. And so I believe that us struggling with some selfish um, means is not anything new. There's been nothing new under the sun. People have struggled with the old ancient self since the beginning of time. So how do we deal with this whole social media? I'm going to just give you a kind of some statistics here in the beginning to just give you a ballpark of how grand this really is. I speak to a lot of youth. I go to a lot of uh, high schools, academies, and I'll tell you what, you start talking to youth, it is a rarity when I meet teenage or college age people that don't use it whatsoever. I mean, literally a rarity. Everyone seems to be engaged in some sort of social media platform. Out of the 3.7 billion users, um, there's, there's, there's about, or internet users, there's about 2.3 billion active social media users. 91% of U.S. retail brands use social media, two or more sites. The internet has an average of about um, um, six social media accounts. 68% uh, of Americans use Facebook, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp. It handles 60 billion messages a day. I mean, it's just a staggering amount of people that engage with these kind of pieces of technology. And so with that, we're starting to see some very interesting trends. Um, this report came from CNN that said they have found now that there is a mind-blowing report that teenagers are using social media for upwards of nine hours a day. Nine hours. Now, if you contemplate that and you think about that, they're checking it when they wake up. They're looking through at it through all through school. They're checking it all in the afternoon. Nine hours is an incredible amount of time. I mean, just think about what you could actually accomplish if you spent nine hours a day. You might become a doctor at Loma Linda. <laughs> right? No, I'm just kidding because you guys spend 18 hours a day, I'm sure. But nine hours is an incredible amount. So here's a little news clip that they're talking about this. Using screens and using media so much more than there was maybe when we were kids. 
And I know for me, every morning, I always watch TV. When I'm doing my homework that maybe I'm a little bored of the topic, I have to listen to music to get motivated to do it. So uh, kids of my generation have to do stuff like that. I don't speak for myself. And I know that I play video games with my friends, and I do that, I think, more than I actually get some sleep sometimes. So that's an incredible amount of time. So I'm going to play a little funny video for you here. Maybe you guys will see some humor in this. But this is generally how people use social media. Maybe you guys have some friends that use it in this way. I don't know. We'll see. So maybe perhaps you've seen people use social media in this way. Maybe you've seen the funny ways that people seem to take pictures of everything. I heard a really interesting, funny um, comedian one day. He was illustrating the difference between the older generation and this new generation that's coming up right now. They said, you know, if you ever sit down with, with someone um, who is elderly and you ask them about their previous life when they were a kid and they bring out a picture and it's this picture of their uncle that flew in an airplane across the Atlantic and they have this really crazy story and it's really neat because they have all this these memories tied into this one little photograph and he said what are the old people going to be like today you know they're going to be like so this is what I ate on Tuesday uh, in 19 uh, in uh, 2019 and I mean you think about the massive amount of pictures and everything that we have and we don't even look through them anymore we just store them on to a hard drive or like my wife, she lets her phone fill up and so she can't even take another photo. But listen to this. James 3.16 says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, this is opposite of another 3.16 for... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The opposite, selfishness opens the door for every evil thing or confusing um, thing. Jesus, of course, was not self-seeking. Jesus said of himself, I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which he hath sent me. Um, Jesus also said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Be selfless like Jesus was selfless. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I find it very interesting that here his humanity is crying out, saying, ah, if there's another way, God, can you please take this away from me? But he says, you know what? Not as I will, as thy will. He was complete and utter selflessness. That's the model of the God that we need to have inside of us. Now, listen to this quote from Spirit of Prophecy. Jesus had been earnestly conversing with and instructing his disciples, but as he neared Gethsemane, he became strangely silent. His disciples were perplexed and anxiously regarded his countenance, hoping to read some explanation of the change that had come over their master. They had frequently seen him depressed. Pause. Pause. Have you thought about Jesus depressed? 
they frequently saw Jesus depressed. That really struck a chord in me. And I went, that's a really interesting picture. I know he was a man that was stricken with grief and, 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 and aware of it, but depressed is not a thought that I, I, I thought about. But never before so utterly sad and silent as he proceeded, his strange sadness increased, yet he dared not they dared not question to him as to his cause. His form swayed as if he was to, about to fall, and his disciples looked anxiously um, for using or his usual place of retirement that their master might rest. Now, I brought this quote in here because um, I'm going to show you a correlation. There's a deep correlation with the, our use of social media and depression. And many people have struggled with this. When you look at, oh, look at all the fun that my friend's having. Look at the fun life that they have. Look at the boyfriend or girlfriend that they have. Man, they seem to have much more interesting experiences than I do. That, in turn, makes people depressed. And so think about that next time you want to post and kind of keep showing people all the cool stuff that you're doing. There's somebody looking at those posts that doesn't have that exciting life and they be, are becoming depressed. But I want you to think about this. Jesus identifies with your depression and he was not unfamiliar with it. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing in rivalry or, or, or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As you read through the Bible, it's constantly trying to promote this others-focused idea. Now, I recently spoke in, um, in a, um, a place in, in Florida, and the lady that invited us, um, she actually counseled with young people and who were severely depressed. A lot of them had, had suicidal um, tendencies, um, had had all kinds of issues. And so I'm very naturally curious about this. I've had people in my close existence that have battled depression. And I asked her, I'm always curious, what's the cure? What's the thing that gets them out? And she says, well, there's a lot of different factors that happen, but she said, I'll tell you one of the best remedies that I've found is to get that young person to think about other people. She says, I take them to soup kitchens and I do things with them so that they can serve other people because when you are depressed, you cannot see anyone else around you. It's all about you. So I know that the devil knows what he's doing by causing us to be depressed, causing these devices that are causing everybody this anxiety and everything, because when we are self-focused and self-loathing, we don't see other people. And that's what we are, as a people are supposed to be all about. Now I'm going to give you some interesting facts. Um, did you know that there are 600 million more people who own a mobile phone compared to those who own a toothbrush? People care more about their social media accounts than they do their own dental hygiene. I found that very interesting. Research reveals that there's 4.8 billion mobile users, but only 4.2 people actually have a toothbrush. I think we as a people have our priorities a little bit wrong. So all of this social media is starting to impact the way that we learn. And so I'm going to show you a little video into which they're discussing what is all of this information gluttony actually doing to us. This is framed in the context of the internet. Um, so the way that they're going to talk about is how we, how we look at the internet, but we look at social media in, the, in the, almost the same way. And so here's a little video that talks about what this is actually doing to our brains. So you're reading an article Neurotransmitter chemical to reward us for seeking out and finding 
information. So getting distracted felt good and helped us stay alive. But the problem is that nowadays, predators aren't much of an issue, but we still have the same brains. And also, we have the internet. Which is, it's an incredibly information-rich environment uh, that the net creates for us, and that's why we use it so much. I, I mean sounds, pictures, words, text. And what this tends to do is, is promote a sort of compulsive behavior, which we're constantly checking our smartphone, constantly glancing at our email inbox. We're kind of living in this perpetual state of distraction and interruption. Which is dangerous because that mode of thinking crowds out the more contemplative, calmer modes of thinking. And that focused, calm thinking is actually how we learn. It's a process called memory consolidation. And that means the transfer of information from our short-term working memory to our long-term memory. And it's through moving information from your working memory to your long-term memory that you create connections between that information and everything else you know. So you've got this awesome life-changing piece of information in your short-term memory, but then you hear that email ding and there it goes. That email takes its place and you never get a chance to learn anything all because of one distraction. So attention is the key, and if we lose control of our attention or are constantly dividing our attention, uh, then we don't really enjoy that consolidation process. But I can hear now someone out there is saying, uh, what does learning matter if all the information in the world is just a Google search away? Well, um, that is kind of shortchanging our intellects. If that's the way you're using your mind, just kind of searching very quickly and finding information and forgetting it very quickly, you're never building knowledge. You're simply, you're, you're kind of thinking like a computer. Which means that our very humanity is at stake. And it would be a shame if we all got assimilated because, well, humanity is pretty neat. I really believe that if you look at the great monuments of, of culture, they come from people who are able to pay attention, who control their mind. That's what allows us to think in the highest terms, and think conceptually, think critically, uh, think in some very creative ways. And it's this kind of thinking that's at risk. Being aerobic wants you to tap the other time. Don't get us wrong. The internet is good for lots of things, and it should be celebrated. But the best thing we can do for our minds is to find some time every day to unplug, calm down, and focus on one thing at a time. Your email and those cats will be here when you get back. So this kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of what's going on as we're constantly bombarding our brains with interruptions. Constantly interrupted, constantly interrupted, constantly check the mail. And, and if you've observed this in yourself, it's like sometimes you just feel exhausted because it's like all these communications coming from every which direction. So there's been some people that have started coming out and saying, listen, is there actually real dangers with social media? Is it really rewiring our brains or is it hurting our real relationships in life? And so here's a doctor from UCLA that's kind of discussing um, some of the, um, the, the interesting things that social media is rewiring in our brains. Social media start with the foundation that the brain is actually the social organ of the body, we can understand why social media and brain functions would go hand in hand. That is, the reason social media took off in this last 10 years is because the brain is social and people really want to connect with each other. And then, when social media was designed and keeps on creating itself, then the social media effect is going to be shaping the brain so that the brain is responsive to culture. And in one of our research centers at UCLA, what we're able to show is that cultural experiences, that is, messages sent out in society that are mediated through communication, either one-on-one -on -one or mass media communication, actually shape the actual structure of the brain. And so it's a two-way street. The brain creates social media so if you can kind of wrap your head around what he's basically saying is 
Because of the nature of us being very social, what we're now starting to see is messages and things that are sent out collectively into society that are collectively being observed are then re-interning shaping people's brains and the way that they're actually thinking. So in order to test this, um, um, actually, before I get to that um, um, illustration, there's been some people that have left Facebook. Um, I don't know if you've paid attention to the news and, and uh, some of the guys that have come out vocally and talked in the news what, what they believe Facebook is actually doing to our brains. Um, this was one of the engineers uh, or the former president and he's left Facebook and he's kind of talking a little bit about the damage that he is aware of that social media is actually doing to the brain. So I'm going to play this real quick. And I'd say, okay, you know, you will be. And then they would say, they would say, no, 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 no. I value my real life interactions. I value the moment. I value presence. And I value intimacy. And I would say, well, you're a conscientious objector. That's okay. You don't have to participate. But, you know, we'll get you eventually. <laughs> and, 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 like, I don't know if I really understood the consequences of what I was saying. <laughs> because it, the, un, the unintended consequences of, 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 a, of a network when it grows to a billion or two billion people, and it, and it, begin, it, it literally changes your relationship with society, with each other, with, you know, it, you know, it, 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 it probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. It, God only knows what it's doing to, to our children's brains. You know, if the, if the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them to really understand it, and that thought process was all about how we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while. Um, because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever, and that's going to get you to contribute more content, and that's going to get you, you know, more likes and comments. And it's a, it's a, val it's a social validation feedback loop that, that it's like a, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting vulnerability in, in human. He says you're, you're exploiting vulnerable um, human psychology because they ultimately make money off of keeping your eyes on their device. So if they can prove to the advertising companies, hey, look, these teenagers are spending nine hours a day in front of this device. This advertising is now worth this much. So he's saying that the thought process that went in to develop this technology is they knew it was addictive. They created it to be addictive. That's why they came up with the little like button and the, and the more you post, the more you feed. And all of this together is actually changing and reshaping people's brains. So I wanted to show you this article um, about uh, where they started to test this. They said, we really want to test, like, really, what, what is the influence that people are having um, in social media? Like, who really cares about what people are posting? And so listen to this. At UCLA, the Brain Mapping Center, they used an fMRI um, scanner to image 32 teenagers as they used um, uh, a bespoke social media app resembling Instagram. So they created a fake Instagram that looked much like the real Instagram. Um, this is an fMRI machine so they could test what parts of the brain are active when, um, when they're observing this. And this is what Instagram kind of looks like. You can post a picture, there's likes on it. And what they were testing was, if we post two pictures that are literally exactly the same, there's no difference between those two pictures except for one has a ton more likes than the other one. There's 25,000 likes on this one, there's only 11 likes on this one. And they wanted to see, are you more susceptible to like it just because everyone else is liking it? And they found time and time again this was true. 
Peer influence is what they kind of started coining it. And they said as part of the experiment, the participants were shown to range, uh, range of neutral photos, things like food and friends, and also risky photos like cigarettes and alcohol. But the type of image had no impact on the number of likes given, uh, um, given by the teens. They were instead more likely to like the popular photos regardless of what they showed. And this could lead to a both positive and negative influence with their peers online. Meaning, if everybody's posting pictures of everybody drinking and partying and they're all having so much fun and everybody's liking that photo, guess what that does to you? You're more likely to like that photo as well. So these kind of things are, they're finding, are influencing based on how everybody's liking these things. It's causing a little bit of, of everybody to kind of get on the same train of thinking. Now, there's been some news crews that have kind of gone around and interviewed a few people. This one, I think, specifically came from Los Angeles, and they were asking kids um, what some of their values were. I'll show you some of these things and listen to what they say. So if you think about what the doors that social media has began to open up is now you can share posts and there are these young kids that are actually becoming incredibly famous simply by posting. So it's causing them this desire now where they see all these other people, that's what they're posting about, all the money, all the success, all the fame, and this is what is, is, um, all of these kids are now being interested in. So I wanna share with you some statistics here. Facebook adds 500,000 new users every day. That's six new profiles every single second. These are a lot. 68% of all the US online adults use Facebook at least for one month. And the average mean of friends is 338. Now, how many of you have more than 338? I'll be honest, I have like, I don't know, two, three, 4,000 on mine. Anybody got a lot of friends like that? Do you really have two or three or 4,000 friends? No. You can hardly talk to 10 people, right? Why do we feel like we're all connected to everybody? And um, we live in this funny age where now because we have this connectivity, we say, oh, wow, I'm now more social with my friends and becoming much more connected to them. Um, how many of you have heard of a Gallup poll? Anybody? So they do different studies on different things. And Gallup did a study back in um, the 90s to 2000, and they started um, asking people, how many friends do you actually really have? I mean, we're talking if you got a divorce, you got into a car accident, something tragic happened to you, who's gonna show up and cook your food and take your, uh, your, your um, trash out and stuff like that? What kind of real friends are gonna be there? What do you think the average mean uh, was? that people actually said. It says on the screen, if you're actually reading the screen, 10 friends. That's what the average um, amount of friends were. Then all of a sudden, I've seen studies that have popped up where they've redone this, and they say now today that there is an actual average of about four friends that most people have. So we're going from, remember, in the 2000s, social media was not invented yet. So it's funny to me that all of a sudden, in only one or two decades later, we've gone from half the amount of friends that we can actually count as real friends. You see, what's happening is the research is starting to show us that when we think we're actually being more connected to each other, guess what? We're actually becoming 
more disconnected with each other. Families are becoming disconnected. Friendships are actually not becoming real, long-lasting friendships. And listen to this. Mark 24, 12 says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I find it interesting that this was speaking of the end of the world, and here we're starting to notice, literally, the love of many is beginning to wax cold. We are becoming a disconnected society. So here... um, is a really interesting little clip I found from Denzel Washington, and he's talking about social media. He was asked the question, what would you say to young people about the use of social media? And listen to what he has to say. So he's asking the question as well, what is the long-term effect of this? Are you aware of the fact that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates severely limited the tech use for their kids? Have you read those kind of articles? This came up in Inc. Magazine, and it said that in this interview, Gates explained that he and his wife, Melinda, strictly limited their kids' tech exposure, banning them to owning a cell phone, not owning a cell phone, um, before 14 and, and whipping out their dinner, um, devices during dinner time. And even Steve Jobs, who is one of the biggest people that is the reason why we have these technologies and devices, he um, basically was um, limiting how his kids were using it. And when someone asked him um, if his kid was going to like the iPad, he says they haven't used it. We limit how much technology our kids use at home. Because they understand the very basic foundation of the addiction level that we all have with it. It is an an addicting thing. We are addicted to information, and the way that we get stimulated is with new information. So when we constantly think that there's new information that we're having, whether it be an email or a message or a picture that someone posted, that releases a kick of dopamine, which gives us a little natural high, and we get addicted to that, and then that's what brings us back over and over and over again. And you, can, you guys can look this up on your own time. There's tons of, of um, research out on the internet that talks about this. This is a problem. Um, but here's another thing that's kind of happening as well. Instagram, specifically speaking, is one of the most um, um, heavily used by young people. And Instagram is a very interesting device because everybody posts only the best pictures, Right? You ever notice that? I mean, have you ever seen how some people go through 30, 40, 50 pictures to get that one picture that they put on there and they're even doctoring it? So this little video is illustrating how people use Instagram and how they're actually showing people a whole different world than what's really going on in their lives.
So it's kind of a stark reality, but this is actually how a lot of people post. That's the reality of it. You don't know what's really going on behind closed doors in that person's life, but what you see is only the good part. Only the, I'm, look at how much fun I'm having. Look at all these things that I'm doing, and yet their life could be a total basket case. Or they may not be that person that they're posting all of the time. And if you only look at their posts, they look like the happiest people in the world. Now, I came across this, that I found this very interesting. Um, these girls are at a baseball game, and as they're at the baseball game... And while they're, maybe they'll tweet us their fan photo, maybe. Now, as a Time fans, uh, get on the uh, Twitter with a hashtag all thing, AZ Strong Fan, then you might see your fan photo. And I'm a back TV broadcast brought to you by T-Mobile. <laughs> now, look, look at one on the right. Do you have to make faces when you take something? Wait, one on that, probably. Ooh, you Better angle. So this goes on for a while, and they keep cutting back from the baseball game to these girls who are not paying attention to the game at all. They are literally laughing at them going, they aren't even watching the game. Why would you pay for a ticket to go to the game? What's the purpose of that? Because of what they can show all of their friends. Look at where we are. Look at how much fun we're having. Think about that when you spend so much time trying to take the photo of the, of the exciting walk that you're having that you really aren't even engaged in the people you're walking with. This is a phenomenon that's happening all the time. People are more interested in the technology than they actually are. How many of you have ever been to a party like this? I mean, this thing is a happening party today, man. It's going off, right? I've been um, consciously observing this. Um, I like to go out on dates with my wife. And um, how many of you have seen this? Right? You go on a date, you look around, and I want you to observe other people. And I want you to observe the couples that sit there and don't even have a conversation together. They're so fixed onto their technology and emailing and texting that it's like they can't even see the person that's directly in front of them. They're so busy communicating with someone else. How many of you have seen this? Oh, it breaks my heart. I, I, I'm the type of person that like, I don't like to go grocery shopping at all. In fact, if I never stepped foot in a grocery store again, I would be a happy camper. My idea of shopping is going to Amazon, putting it in my cart, clicking, and I'm good to go. But I've noticed going shopping with my wife, other parents that I will observe their, their interactions with their kids, and they're just literally walking around the store, picking stuff off of the shelves, not paying attention to the kid at all. And my heart just goes, oh my goodness, that poor child, all they want is attention and love from their parents. In fact, Time Magazine picked up on this and they said, help, my parents are millennials. What am I going to do? This is a picture of the world that we are engaging into and growing into. So there is a solution, and I found this solution very interesting. There's actually a device, and I think this is actually a real technological device that someone was trying to develop for frustrated parents who have kids who they can't unplug them. Here is a solution for you.
Have you ever observed that? I've traveled around the world and I've been in a lot of different places. And I was in Brazil one time and I was um, at this family's house and I even gave this presentation to the church and I went back to the family's house and I don't think their kids said a word to the entire family the entire time I was there. They were literally on their phones, not engaging into the family time at all. And so, you know, there's, there's a blessing to have this technology, but there's also guidelines and things that we can do to help us have that family time. I grew up in a household that I was not allowed to eat by myself. In fact, our family had to eat together. And as a teenager, I was always like, no, all I want is a sandwich. I don't want to eat a whole meal with the family. And every single time my parents were like, nope, the family eats together and we're going to share a meal together. And I'll tell you what, as an adult, it is some of my most favorite memories of my childhood. And even with my children today, family time is a sacred time for us to be together, to talk so what my wife and I do is we turn off the technology. If you call me during dinner time, I will never answer the phone. If you text message me during dinner time, I will never answer the phone. Because I want to set a precedence with my children that there is a time that our family operates together and all technology is aside. So there's things that we need to kind of implement if we're going to have these technologies in our life and what we need to do. Listen to this quote from Mrs. White that comes from Gospel Workers, page 185. The work of many ministers, there is too much sermonizing and too little heart-to-heart -heart work. You know, we live in a day and age where we have sermons coming out the wazoo. You can listen to anything you want to on Audioverse. I love Audioverse, by the way. You guys are awesome. <laughs> You can listen to anything on audio verse that you want to, but listen, we are not lacking in information. I want you to think about that for a second. The information is not our problem. Listen to what Mrs. White says. There is need to do more personal labor for souls. In Christ-like sympathy to minister, we should come close to men individually to seek to awaken their interest in the great things of eternal life. Their hearts may be as hardened as the beaten highway and apparently it may be a useless effort to present our Savior to them. But while logic may fail to move an argument powerless to convince the love of Christ revealed in personally ministry, may soften the stony heart so that that seed of truth may take root. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that the best way to reach someone, best way hands down, is you work a relationship with them? So do you think it's by chance that we now have all of these devices in our world that are literally ripping us apart? They're separating us. They're making us not as close to each other. Listen, there is some beautiful things that we can do with this technology. I'll give you some solutions. Here we go. Um, if you've ever been to a restaurant and you've seen everybody that's literally on their phones the entire time, no one's even engaging in the restaurant, take everybody, take your phone out, put it on the table, and stack them up on the table. The first one that grabs the phone off of the table has to pay the bill. You better want to answer that text message because it's going to cost you, right? Engage into the conversation. Put your media down. Don't, don't be so caught up in what's going on out there. If you take the time to go out to dinner with your friends or with your family, be present with your friends and your family because that relationship is important. Make sense? Here's another piece of practical advice. Um, there is this little thing inside of your phone called airplane mode. Now, I speak to a lot of young people. In fact, I was speaking to a university, and I will not name the university, but it was all university age range kids. And I'll tell you what, the speaker can see who's paying attention. I mean, we can see when people are pulling their phones out and texting or playing around and not even paying attention and stuff like this, right? I have never seen in, in, in any of my time speaking all over so many people disengaged to what I was saying. And usually it was like, if you show a video, people would sit there and they would play like this and then you'd play the video and you'd watch all the heads look up at the video. Second the video's gone, they'd go right back down to their phones, right? And this was the first time that it didn't matter what video I played. They did not look at the screen or anything that I was saying. They were literally 
majority of them engaged in their media. So I say that because, listen, when you go to church, there's a blessing that God wants to give you at church. Be present and listen to the sermon that is coming. If you're constantly engaged and out there trying to communicate with everybody else, it's a distraction tool and you might miss something that God needs you or wants you to hear. So put your phone on airplane mode. I realize some people use the Bible and stuff like that in church. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. Another way is um, I don't want to discount using social media as a very positive tool. And I'll give you an illustration like this. I have a friend of mine. Um, He's a very well-known speaker. Um, In fact, many of you in this room have heard him speak many times. And he was having some struggles um, in just their ministry. It wasn't quite making as much money, and, and he couldn't pay his car payment. And he was literally just like doing everything he thought God wanted him to do, and he literally could barely survive, did not have food in his refrigerator, couldn't pay his cell phone bill, and was literally in the grocery store crying out to God going, God, why? I'm doing everything you want me to do. Why are you not taking care of me? And all of a sudden, he gets a text message in his pocket, and he pulls it out, and somebody texted him and said, you know what? I was just thinking about you today, and I came across this Bible verse, and I thought I would encourage you with it. And it was exactly what he needed to hear at that moment. What a beautiful use of the technology. When you don't see someone at church, have you ever gone home from church and texted them? Hey, I didn't see you at church today. Are you all right? Can I bring you something? Are you sick? Can I bring you some soup? What a beautiful use of the technology. I went to a church out in, in, um, in Los Angeles when I came back into the church, when my wife and I started going to church. Um, we lived in Los Angeles for the first year of our marriage, and I started shopping at the different churches in, um, in Los Angeles. And I went to this one particular church, and right when I walked in the doors of the church, the pastor came up to me, and he said, oh, I haven't seen you here before. Can I have your phone number? I went, all right. So I kind of gave him my phone number, and I went, that's weird. Like, never, never have that happen. I'm leaving church. He calls my phone on the way from church. Hey, just really appreciated you coming by today, and just wanted to know if you had any questions or if you, if you wanted to, you know, talk or anything like that. It was really great to see you and your wife. I'll tell you what, I stuck at that church because he called me and was interested in saying hi to me. So think about that. Your friend's we're all seeking love and attention and, 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 you know, if somebody's not around or having a bad day, use the technology to reach out to them and use it in a positive manner. Here's another thing. I love technology, have a lot of it. Um, trying to convince my wife to buy, to, for, that I need an Apple iWatch is not going to happen. But have you ever noticed when you talk to somebody who has a smartwatch, and this is nothing against smartwatch, and they do this to you the entire time that, that you're talking. Have you noticed this ever, right? And I immediately go, oh my goodness, I'm totally boring this person. Like, they've got somewhere else they need to go, and I'm obviously not uh, interesting enough to them. But that's not what people mean by it at all. But think about it. It's a psychological thing that you relay to people when you're constantly like, I've got got, got someone to go, so, you know, hurry it up. Pay attention to that. You do not need to te- check that text message or that phone message immediately. You can wait until the conversation is done. YouTube is a wonderful thing. 13 to 24-year-olds all watch YouTube and nothing else. If you ask anyone between that age, um, do you watch any TV, they'll tell you, I watch YouTube. So here's some interesting statistics about YouTube that you might kind of find fascinating. 300 hours of vi- a video are uploaded to YouTube every single minute. It's incredibly a lot of content. billion hours of video are watched every single month. The average mobile viewing session lasts more than 40 minutes. And um, before I get to this screen right here, well, you can kind of see it. Um, I was going to ask you what the most popular YouTube video is. Anybody, don't don't look. Anybody want to guess that didn't look? No. Despacito. Do you know what this is? Raise your hand if you know what this is. Okay. Now, how is it that about 50% of this room knows what the most popular music video is? Right? And it's not a very, like, kosher music video. Am I right? How many of you have ever looked through YouTube and not meaning to, you see some little YouTube video on there that's a music video and you click on it and you've seen a music video, right? You see, I remember the days and age when I was growing up and my... my, uh, 
parents' age uh, was always like, don't watch YouTube or MTV. Don't, don't watch MTV. Guess what, brothers and sisters? People are still watching MTV. We just don't call it MTV. We call it YouTube. Look at the names on here. Despacito, um, See You Again, Uptown Funk, Gangnam Style, Sugar, Shake It Off. The top videos that are watched on there are all music. That's what a lot of kids are watching. So I tell people, listen, YouTube is awesome. Did you know people have learned to build a house watching YouTube tutorials? I have changed the brakes on my car. I have literally done wild things that I never thought that I would be able to do sitting there watching a YouTube video, right? What a blessing. But also with that blessing, you can find yourself watching things that you normally would not watch. Um, so I, I want to read this verse to you. Ephesians 5, 5 through 17. Then um, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as the fools, but as the wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I believe that we are given a talent of time. We are out of time, but literally time is one of those things that I think you're going to regret wasting when we get to heaven. And I'll phrase it like this. I don't think anyone is going to get to heaven and go, I'm so glad every single night I looked at an hour's worth of Instagram. I don't think anyone's going to ever say that. I don't think anybody's ever going to say, I'm so glad that I did any X amount of hours of video games or watched X amount of hours of movies. Do you know what they are going to say when they get to heaven? Why didn't I talk with my neighbor? Why didn't I spend a little more energy with this family member who was not in Christ? Why didn't I spend a little more time donating my time and energies to the things of the church or the things of God? Those are the things that I believe you're going to say, I wish I would have done that with my time. So think about that because I've observed this and I'm being 100% honest with you guys. I work in ministry all the time, so I'm constantly kind of communicating with people. And sometimes when I would go home, I have to communicate with certain people from Facebook and people message me all the time about speaking engagements or whatever. But I noticed something when I would lay there next to my wife looking at Facebook and an hour would go by and I never said a word to my wife. And we would literally be like, okay, good night. And I was like, do you remember the days before this that, that we used to talk and lay in bed and have conversations and stuff like that? And so we both really noticed that and we started observing the time that we waste doing these kind of devices. And it is breaking us away from our own personal relationships. So think about that in your own personal relationships. I believe that, that the days are evil and we need to do the best that we can with the time. Listen to this. This comes from Testimonies of the Church, page, uh, volume 2, page 499. Success or failure in ministry depends much on one's use of time. Some might now have been thorough workmen had they made a good use of their time, feeling that they would have to get, uh, give an account to God for their misspent moments. That's a solemn thought right there. They have displeased God because they have not been industrious. Self-gratification, self-love, and self selfish love of ease have kept some from the good and withheld them from obtaining a knowledge of the scriptures that they might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works." Some do not appreciate or value the value of time and have idled it away in bed in the hours that might have been better employed in studying the Bible. I can testify to this problem. And so I want to just share that with you and say, listen, you know what? It's a great thing to communicate with people, but if you find yourself literally just wasting hours away, you would be better to spend that time in reading the scriptures so that you can turn around and share that with someone else. I hope this was a, a, a blessing to you. I know there's lots of, of, of young college kids that maybe are married, just getting married, uh, maybe thinking about having kids. You've got to start making these decisions of what kind of choices are you going to allow your children? What kind of technology? How, how much do you need to limit this with them? Because I'll tell you what, I've done a pretty good job in my household with the TV. No TV, don't watch this. My kids are very well on that train. And I'll tell you what the next wave of the war is. It's called this right here. And too often, this is handed to the kids as a pacifier, and it is a wealth 
of things that you do not want your children to get involved in. Whether it be addicting video games or things that, that they don't need to, to engage into. So think about that. Put some parameters on this technology. There's a lot of research out on the internet that talk about some of the things that this is doing to our brains and how it's changing and rewiring us. And I want you to remember, if you don't remember anything else that I said t this, tonight, I want you to remember this. We are called to be friends with everyone out there in this dying world. We need to, to reach them. And that takes a lot of hard labor of one-on-one -on -one relationships. It's not a fictitious virtual relationship that's going to really win those people over. Think about that. Spend quality time with people and, and don't just rely on the technologies of this world. Is there any questions before we close out tonight? Anything over any of the material that you've seen? You have a question on some of this stuff? I don't want to I don't want to leave you guys with more questions. Are you working on anything about 5G? 5G is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I've looked a little bit into it. We're, we're, we're do, working on a couple different projects right now that deal with technology. Um, one specifically is in the topic of AI and where they're going with a lot of this technology that's, that's leading out. It is really fascinating, and they're so far advanced, and there is a lot of technology that is just becoming more and more evasive into us. 5G, I think, is one of those that, that I don't think they quite understand quite what it's going to do to us, um, and, and these technologies are being released, and then it's kind of like we're testing it on the population. So, yeah, it's a topic that, that I feel passionate about talking about and, and, and giving some people some information. Anyone else? So, you know, you. Oh, yes. So he said, what is the dangers of a lot of these big companies that are collecting big data on you? And they're selling your data and they're targeting you. Have you ever heard of the um, Facebook, or um, sorry, um, the uh, selfish ledger? So in Simi Valley, um, or, or Silicon Valley, they release videos internally with a lot of these progressive forward thinkers. And some of these videos are to test the waters to see how people would react to this um, type of technology that's coming out or something like this. And there was a video that was quote unquote leaked that was called the selfish ledger. And what they were discussing was all of this personal data that you are now putting onto the internet. There is a digital version of you on the internet. Everything that you taste, touch, like, buy, they literally have a copy of you digitally. Is it yours? And this is what they were discussing. And so they were saying that, that if they needed to know a piece of information about you, there is, everything is now becoming connected to the internet. That's what the whole 5G thing is. Literally everything is going to be connected to the internet. So your toaster oven, your microwave, your vacuum cleaner, all of that is gonna be sending information at one point in time to these major companies. And so they said, if they don't know your weight, like let's say the company or whatever doesn't understand your weight, what they can do is they can advertise to you through Amazon or whatever like this to buy a scale and the second you buy the scale and you step on the scale, it sends your information to the, to the computer and it learns about you. And what they found is that they can completely manipulate you based on how they know human psychology works and they can corral you to do whatever they want you to do. You should, you should look this video up. It's a little alarming when you watch it. You can see it on YouTube. It's called the social ledger. Or, and, and so um, there's, there's, there's some technology that's coming out that is very interesting. And all of this is tying back and getting closer and closer to the topic of AI. This is literally a piece of AI. And we now carry it all the time. Have you ever lost your phone? Anyone? How did that make you feel when you lost your phone? Right? Were you like, oh, I feel like, I, like those dreams I had when I was a kid and I went to school with no pants, right? You feel like that, right? You feel like there's something missing out of you. Do you know that's, that's a crazy thing? Because they're getting the technology, literally this is almost on us. The next step is to get it on you. The next step is to get it in you. And the next step is to get it connected to you. 
and the whole mess of the tech world. We're talking Larry, um, Larry Page from Google, all these guys who are transhumanists and they're all trying to transcend humanity with technology and oh man, it is getting out of control where they're actually wanting to take this. So I think also as a people, we need to understand the limitations of, of this to basically help safeguard our, ourselves and of course our children that are growing up. Anyone else? That's right. Why don't you challenge them to? How do, what is your opinion about to So to reinstate the question, she's saying that our attention span is getting um, smaller and smaller and smaller. In fact, some, some, some of the people, they joke about it. They say um, a goldfish has a nine-second attention span, and we now have an eight-second attention span. Nice. We have less than a goldfish. And so literally it is becoming surface skimmers is what we are. We're not deep searchers anymore. Do you remember you had to really, if you wanted to get a piece of information from a book, I don't know, this is probably the wrong audience to say this from. You guys probably read deeply into books and stuff like this. But the average population doesn't, just reads the, the, the bold prints. And they're just surface skimming all this information and just taking things in. And they're not really doing these slow, long, processes where that's how we really need to learn and and yeah our attention is just going out the window videos are getting shorter and shorter and so yeah I think it is is um, is an unfortunate thing um, also another thing too do you notice how we, we use a lot of PowerPoint and a lot of pictures and a lot of video clips and things like that in sermons now if you've noticed a lot of different speakers that come by they'll they'll use this technology whatever happened to a guy that could just stand up here and preach from a Bible all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you got a guy who's just reading from the Word of God and people are like, <clears throat> because they're not changing colors and, you know, there's no music and there's no stimulation. So a side product as well is we are getting addicted to the stimulation and the change of rapid information and all that kind of stuff. And we are literally rewiring our brains to, to not have that attention span. So, so for what? I believe that, yes, we need to unplug. We need more time where we don't engage in this. Have you ever done a media fast? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. And, you know, I, I, I encourage that all the time. If you ever really want to test yourself and see if you're, you're addicted to the technology, turn it off for a bit and re recognize what your body does. Does it think about it, fantasize about it, constantly want to check it? Are you, are you withdrawing from it? Those are classic signs of addiction. So if you have those symptoms, you, 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 you need to know that, that there is, um, there's a real addiction to technology that we, uh, we can engage and suffer from. So um, I think that, that disengaging from it is a, is a beautiful thing and we need to do that more often. Anyone else? All right, I want to thank you guys for, for coming out. I'll, I'll stay here. If you've got any other personal questions, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for, first of all, for you being our friend. We know that, you know, we don't deserve any of your attention or anything from you. And yet you have just employed all of heaven to save us. And I want to thank you for that personally. But I also, Lord, want to uh, pray a prayer of encouragement over Advent Hope here. Because this is a special group, a, a special beacon of light that you have called down here into Southern California, into Loma Linda, into, into this whole area. And Lord, we need to be friends and, and, and really build those relationships there is a lot of hurting people out here. And so, Lord, I want to pray for this church to, to open our eyes on how to become friends with these people and, and how to engage with them so that we can bring them into the fold and bring them to you and, uh, and bring them ultimately to your feet. And so we just pray that um, um, a special blessing over the work that Advent Hope is doing here and all of the the information that they're learning, Lord, may it not just be information, but may they apply it to their lives. 
And uh, Lord, we know that you're coming soon and we want to be a people that are ready for you. So we thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.